Right, we'll see how this mic goes. I think it's a bit in and out, but uh, we will see. Uh, all right, does anybody else feel as though the past two years has left you feeling a bit weary and a bit of a fog? A bit like, ugh, I just can't quite experience life like I used to be able to experience life. There's something just stopping me from getting through and knowing life as I'm supposed to know it. Two years of seeing news stories where we were directly involved. If you've been directly involved in a news story before, it probably only lasted a couple of days, maybe a week or two. But for months and months and months, you're looking at the news to see how that affected you and your life. And then, of course, Ukraine and the dreadful headlines about that. And, of course, the suffering there is nothing, of course, compared to anything that we could feel around it. But there is an indirect consequence there where we start to look at the news and think about our own security, about what this means for the world and for our future and for our children. It's left us more exhausted than we realise. The fog we are left in means it's really tough to know how to enjoy life. And add to that, let's be honest, we no longer really know how to rest. Our kind of dopamine uh, addicted brains crave notifications, social media likes, more drama on Netflix. And we think that's rest. It's not rest. Just adds to it. It's a bit like, I think this fog is a bit like when you try and enjoy something beautiful, like a painting, piece of music, nature. You, you look at it and you think, whoa, this is amazing, but you can't quite take it in. Does anybody else get that feeling? I once went to the Grand Canyon. I'm looking over the Grand Canyon, it's a beautiful sunset, we've timed it to be there that time, and I'm going, wow, this is amazing, but I feel like there's more to experience of this. I, I, not my senses just can't take it all in. Anybody uh, see the sunset yesterday evening? Yeah. Stunning, wasn't it? Absolutely amazing. I was driving home from Edinburgh, and I was looking at this gorgeous sunset and thinking, this is extraordinary, but it is like there's something more that I just can't quite grasp of it. I can't quite take it in. So, I want to help us today to rediscover or be reminded of where true life comes. I think the reason that we look at nature or something beautiful and we see it and we think this is wonderful but there's something more is because there is something more. It's not just the created thing that is stunning, there is something behind the created thing that is even more stunning. And that is truly what will satisfy us, that we can truly enjoy. There is nothing as all-satisfying than what is behind this beautiful creation. Romans says there's no excuse not to believe in God because he can be seen in nature. But nature itself is not satisfying. Not on its own. We need the creator. So we're going to go to John 15. And so as I prayed on Friday after that phone call Friday morning, what, what should I prepare in this few hours that I have this afternoon 
for Sunday, Lord, help me. Phoned a couple of people. Lord, what, what do you think God would want to say to us on Sunday? And in the end, I felt like God was saying, I, I just want you to refresh my people. And so we're turning to John 15. Jesus, Jesus is described there as a vine, describes himself as a vine. God the Father is a vine dresser. And we can confer from Jesus' words prior to that about the Holy Spirit that what gives life is the sap, the Holy Spirit, the advocate who he sends, this resin that fills the branches from the vine. And only then do branches, us, we're the branches, produce fruit. And this fruitfulness is how the Bible describes people who are connected to life, who are united to life, who, who experience life as it is meant to be experienced. The fog has cleared. So before we do, um, we're going to look at the backstory. Okay? It's really important to know the backstory of John 15, because if we didn't, if we just jumped straight in, we wouldn't understand what Jesus was trying to say. So the backstory really could be, there could be loads of places we go in the Old Testament. We're going to go to Psalm 80. Why is it that Jesus, I want you to ask this question, why did Jesus compare himself to a vine? Why did he use that analogy of himself? Psalm 80, verses 8 through 9. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nation, nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it and took root and filled the land. What's that about? Well, it's about how Israel was enslaved for 400 years to the Egyptians until Moses is raised up by God and then God cuts them free from Egypt, from slavery to Egypt. And then after 40 years of wandering, of being prepared in some way to be planted as a new vine in Canaan, he finally does it through Joshua. That's what that's about. So they initially flourished and they spread fruitfulness, life throughout the land. They cultivated the land and they spread this, this good life, this life as it was supposed to be. And Psalm 80 continues, verses 10 through 11. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, it shoots as far as the river. So it started well. Their branches started to shoot out and they were fruitful. But of course, as we've seen in 1 and 2 Samuel through our series, Heart and House, Israel's story is not an ever ascending graph, is it? Psalm 80 goes on. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it, and insects from the fields feed on it. So instead of being light to the nations, or being these fr this fruitful nation that gives life, in fact, it starts to be like all the other nations. And it isn't the fruitful nation it's supposed to be. It becomes wild, not cultivated, and full of God's life. So instead of being light to nations... They are like darkness. God saved them, and he was so generous to them, and then he puts them into the land, and yet they turned elsewhere. They turned to the nations around them. They became slaves, not to Pharaoh in Egypt anymore, but slaves to sin. It left them disconnected from the life 
that they were supposed to be set apart for. So much more life to be enjoyed and yet turned away. Psalm 80 continues, verse 14. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted. The sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. The son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Later on, a few hundred years later, Prophet Isaiah, chapter 5, verse 4 says this, or God says this through him, what more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? So the vine is producing bad fruit. Israel is producing bad fruit, not the fruit that it's supposed to produce. And it's cut down to a stump and it is burned up. But, but, but... The psalmist knew. He knew something of God. He knew that there was hope. He knew that that wasn't the end. So he can cry out, return to us, God Almighty. Give us life. Restore us. He knows the character of God. He knows his mercy. He knows his love. He knows his grace. He knows God is a life giver. And in the end, that was always what God was going to do. He loves to give to people who cry out to him for it. So the psalmist knows that he can rely on the promises of God, even though they've walked away and become this thing that they're not supposed to look like at all, this wild vine, this cut-down, separated vine, this vine that isn't producing good fruit. And so they need a new vine, says the psalmist, doesn't he? He hangs the whole thing on this. That the man at your right hand, oh, who could that possibly be? The son of man whom you have made strong. Huh. Ringing any bells yet? Will come. A new vine will come. So enter John 15, verses 1 through 5. And Judith is going to come and read it for us. true vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit already you are clean because of the word that i have spoken to you abide in me and i in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me i am the vine you are the branches Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Brilliant, thank you. Excellent, thank you so much. All right, so we're going to see a few things from these verses. First thing is this. Jesus shows us God who is life. 
Now, I know very, very little, it may not surprise you, about gardening or horticulture or viticulture, which I believe is fine dressing. I'm a city boy, okay? I don't know these things. In fact, I was at a New Forest wedding uh, once in Dorset, and uh, the, the wedding was in someone's estate. Rich guy who said, I'll host you, friends of theirs. So I got into a conversation with this guy. We're talking away. I made the mistake of asking him, um, I see you've got a vineyard. I'd be interested to know a bit about that. My eyes, I'm I'm struggling to cover my eyes, glazing over and like try not to fall asleep. So I listened to this guy like an hour and a half later. But I wish I had listened a bit more because it would be so helpful for these verses. I was kind of hoping that he hadn't noticed. Uh, but I think he probably had. In Jesus' analogy here, we've got um, Jesus obviously being the vine, then God the Son being the vine, then we've got God the Father, he's the viticulturist, the garden. Then God the Spirit, the sap, flowing life from vines to branches. And of course, we, those who have put our trust in Jesus, are the branches. So here it is, you've got God. This is God. He's talking about God, isn't he? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have come to redeem life as it was supposed to be. This is all of life's source here come in one picture of what God has come to do. God created the cosmos by the Father's command and through the word of the Son and the creative power of the Holy Spirit who hovered over the deep. So even in the very beginning, we see that it is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God, three in one, who creates everything, the whole cosmos. He is the creator. He is the life source. And here he is again, God in three persons who have existed in everlasting adoration and satisfaction of one another forever. They found purpose. God has purpose in himself, three in one. And if we want to know what God is like, what do we do? Well, we turn to the Son, to Jesus, because as uh, Athanasius described it in the third century, he is the son, the son is the father's all. He is word in the beginning, according to John's gospel. He is the image of the invisible God, according to the apostle Paul. Want to know what God's like? Look to Jesus. And Jesus has satisfied God the Father and God the Spirit for all eternity as they have for him. No end here to God's life-giving goodness. The relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the only well of satisfaction that has no bottom. Every other well will run dry He, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will never run dry. You want satisfaction? God is the only one who will satisfy you forever. 
on life as it was meant to be. You can't conjure it up. You need God. That's what Israel's lesson was. Don't try and conjure it up yourselves. Don't try and do it your own way. You need God and you need God's ways. You need life's creator. Jesus is showing us God is life. Second thing he shows us is that his life is being shared with us. One thing I do remember from this amateur viticulturist, I'm just going to keep going with that word, even though I have real, really no clue about it, um, was that the variety of rootstocks for vines and different grafted branches from other vines are vital for healthy and abundant grape yields. That's particularly true, apparently, with English soils and weather and pests and all that sort of stuff. So in the 1860s, apparently, I've been doing some Googling, some Europeans started introducing vines from the New World, like Chile, Argentina, California, trying to get the best wine. But they brought wee pests with them, a nasty and tiny variety of lice. And you couldn't get rid of them until they discovered that there were particular vines in America that were actually naturally resistant to these insects, which fed on the roots. So, the wee lice love the roots, okay? And so what would happen is if you had a vine that you were growing here, and you'd already grown it, if you just tried to graft in a, a branch from this American variety that was um, resistant to it, then it wouldn't work. You actually had to put the American root into the ground and then once it had grown, start grafting in the branches from the European vines. Does that make sense? So you needed new rootstocks, you needed new vines in order to be able to resist the lice. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he is saying that he is the vine resistant to sin like that vine was resistant to the lice. And he was the only sinless one sent from heaven to earth so we could be grafted in as branches and receive new life. We are not only, have not only have we been diseased by sin and become producers of bad fruit, we've actually been cut off. We, we deserve to be cut off, detached, burnt up. But instead, what's happened is Jesus has been planted by God the Father, the gardener, and we have been grafted in. Romans eleven twenty four gives this example of grafting with an olive tree. It speaks about being cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature, being grafted into a cultivated olive tree. That's what happens to us when we trust in Christ. We were like Israelites, producing wild fruit of the world. Now, we're joined to Jesus, the true vine, the life-giving vine, the heavenly fruit. The heavenly fruit is being produced in us, the branch, because we're connected to the vine, the fruit of God's life. You want life? 
You want fruitfulness? You need to be attached to the vine. You need to be interconnected with Christ. Jesus has come to share his life with us. And he's had nothing, nothing in him that's held him back. He's given him his whole self for you. He's poured out all his life so we might receive all of his. So, let me be clear about what I mean when I say that he's shared life with us. I do not mean that he's like shared a bit of Kit Kat at the playground, okay? I don't mean that he's like shared something and then he's run off and played somewhere else and he's forgotten all about you. No. The language is important here. He says that the branches are in me. In me. You and Christ united, made one. Paul uses the phrase in Christ, in him, again and again and again. Especially, you remember early in Ephesians, he reminds the church about the basis of the good news and he talks about how they're in Christ. You're in him. He keeps reminding them, you're in Christ. That's who you are. You're in Christ. And it's so important that we realize that we're intertwined with him. It wasn't like he did you a favor and then walked away. He made you one with himself. You see, everlasting life is not just a ticket to heaven. It's all satisfying life because it's God himself who's made himself one with you. When Jesus came, he came to invite us to share in him. This is the life that we image bearers all crave. Think back to what I was saying at the beginning about how you you see something beautiful but you feel like there's just something more to be enjoyed. Well, there's something more to be enjoyed as God and God has come so that you might enjoy him forever. The son has come to share life. He is the true vine. He was planted by the true and excellent gardener, his father, to share the love of God that they have forever held. This is the overflowing love and life of God. And he could not resist but come to your rescue. He has loved you since before the beginning of time. He couldn't help but have his all-satisfying love overflow out of him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and flow onto you. We are intertwined with the life of God. Third thing, Jesus produces life in us. In Christ, we find our true purpose, what we're really made for. And that is to be producers of fruit. Good fruit. The branches have been fused to the vine and we've been given a new nature. Our old nature has gone and the new one is here but now that means if the new nature has come good fruit starts to come as well verse 8 goes on to say that we show ourselves to be his true disciples his true followers by the way we are changed to become fruitful so often people assume that being fruitful is things that are that are outward things like Suddenly, I obey the rules, and I'm quite good at that. And suddenly, I do nice things, and there are lots of people healed around me. 
saved, things like that. Now, those things are often byproducts of fruitfulness, but they are not fruitfulness itself. Real fruitness, fruitfulness begins by what is happening on your inside, by what God is doing in your heart. God enters us by the Spirit and He changes us from the inside out. So to truly know yourself is this, to give yourself away again and again to God and to have Him reform your heart to be the image-bearing person, the fruitful person that he has called you to be. It's about character. It's about becoming more like Jesus day by day. It's not a one-time transaction. Verse 2, Jesus says he wants to make us more fruitful. Paul describes it, continuing grace. How is your fruitfulness? You know, the more I experience of Christian life, the more become the more I, I realize that I'm naked and scraggly as a branch. Because it's not about gift, it's not about big opinions. It's about being conformed to the likeness of Christ. Pray for more and more fruitfulness in all of us. Vines are amazingly fruitful, you know. They have more fruitfulness, they bear more fruit than just about any other plant for its size. But when a vine is not managed, it gets big and out of control. And the less fruit it can actually produce. So some plants need to be pruned every so often, right? These need to be pruned all the time. So I'm told. Regular pruning. And it's no mistake that Jesus talks of himself as a vine and us as branches. We need to be pruned. And he talks about us being pruned. God our Father will come and prune us, verse 2. And it shouldn't surprise us. And actually it's often painful. Often that's things like difficult relationships to manage, work through, physical health and pain, the removal of things that we love and are passionate about. Sometimes it's even things like disease or different things that go on in our lives. I'm not saying that God is, God is not pleased with those things. Of course, he's not. He's going to come back and, and take all of it away and make all things new. But he uses those things to prune us. He gives us seasons of pruning. Now, I've got two images. Oh, oh brilliant. Work. Look at that. Naomi's already on it. Um, so one of the images there, you see this fruitfulness on the vine. But the other one, where it's been pruned, it, it just looks so naked. And I think one of the things that we see when we're pruned is that usually God is humbling us. He's humbling us. And we don't see that as a good thing, but we should. Let me just tell you a little bit about what being a church planter was like when lockdown came. We had seen some growth and it was going well for the early years of a church plant. All in all, 
pretty good. Pleased with what God was doing. Looking out, seeing people come to faith, seeing people grow in their faith. Great group of people who God had clearly brought together um, to build this thing together. And you think, wow, that's amazing. Isn't that so good? And I often think that in a moment like that, when those sorts of things are kind of then taken away from you that you have been using to contribute to that, and you may have found this as somebody who was part of the church at the time as well. Maybe you were leading worship or you were doing something um, regularly, and that suddenly was taken away from you. And you don't get an opportunity to look at what God's doing through you, so you don't, you're not kind of like, oh wow, look, hey, I'm doing all right here, this is good, and look, this stuff's happening, God seems to be doing that through me, wow, this is so cool. Um, but when that all is taken away, suddenly you realise, oh, like maybe I've like kind of been looking at some of this stuff and, and thinking that somehow it's to do with me. It's not to do with me, it's God. But I think often what we do, because we're proud, is we start to think that it's about us in some way. It was humbling and good for me to go through a season where I didn't know what I was doing with the video where I didn't know how to connect with people in the way I would like to connect with them. Now, these weren't ideal scenarios, but it's been good for my heart. I was pruned. I felt naked at times. But of course, it then stops you looking at self, and instead, in a moment of humility, you look to Jesus. You look to the vine. You look to the one who is giving you the life. Because it's always him who is giving the life. If it's genuine fruitfulness of life, it's him who's giving it. He's the vine. And he gives it to us through the Spirit. We need moments of humbling. We need pruned. We need to be stripped back and revealed and allow ourselves to see God for who he is and stop looking at ourselves. And I think all of us have been pruned in some way through the COVID restrictions. If you thought COVID was long, just think of the people of Israel, pulled out of Egypt to be planted in Canaan, and they weren't planted for 40 years. We need to learn patience and humility if we want to be increasingly fruitful. For what happens after we are pruned, the fruitfulness increases in the next season. But notice Jesus doesn't say pruning always brings fruitfulness no matter what you do. This is really important. Verse 5, he says it brings fruit to those who remain in him. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You want to be a fruitful person, experience life as it's supposed to be experienced? Well then, you need to remain in Christ. So here's just a few things you can do. Number one, prioritize God's word. Verse seven goes on to say, have my words remain in you. Write scripture on the tablets of your heart. Memorize scripture, that's old school, isn't it? Let's do things like memorize scripture. Sing scripture, find good songs where you can sing it out in a shower. Find moments for prayer. Like Jesus, find a way to escape the crowds and the busyness to be with your Father. Remove distractions. I've removed social media and it's been gloriously helpful. 
you might want to consider doing the same thing. Or something else that you know distracts you. You don't use it to the glory of God. Get some accountability in your life. Have someone, a friend who loves Jesus and loves you. Who's looking out for your best interests and truly loves God. And be accountable with them about your fruitfulness. About your life in God. Prioritise being with the church family. Encourage and be encouraged. So important. Go, especially when you don't want to, to Grace Community or a Sunday or whatever it is. If you don't want to go, it's a sign you need to go. Verse 12, Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you. Jesus repeats that command again and again. The the New Testament's full of it. Love, 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 love one another. They'll be known by your love. You'll be known by your love for one another. Then, when you're together, let the love of Jesus extend through each other. Try and mimic Jesus in the way that you love one another. Remain in Jesus, your vine. Okay, last thing. Jesus gives us life to share. He doesn't want us just to keep it to ourselves. Did you notice Psalm 80's backstory? There's uh, branches there that spread and reach out. Its branches reached as far as the sea, it shoots as far as the river. So the life in us is supposed to produce in us something that then flows out of us. In the same way that God overflows, his glorious love flows out of the Godhead to us. His love then is to flow out of us, not just in the church, but across the city and beyond. The life produced in us flows out of us. Previously, we, before we knew Jesus, we were producing the kind of bad fruit you might describe as the bad apple that spoils the bunch. You can't even help it, it's just your nature. But now you are by nature a life giver. That is who you are. You're a life giver, you're not a life taker. So I wanted to just finish with a picture that Stu actually shared a while ago, uh, a kind of prophetic uh, picture that he had of a vine. Um, And I've just been kind of praying through that for a while, that picture, and I think it's been really helpful. It's a a vine that that started to grow up straight, um, but then instead of just continuing to grow up straight, it started to spread and its branches went this way and that way and it went kind of through this trellis along the kind of um, path of least resistance in different directions. And I was coming and praying over what does that mean? What does that mean for us? What does it mean for the church? What does God say to us through that kind of thing? And it's kind of just pressed in my heart that in this season, we are to be a people who are to rediscover what it means to go to the edges, to go to the places where there is a barrenness and be fruitful. Not just to think that we just stay together and and just grow up straight together, but actually we we from the vine, from Christ, we're sent out and, and we're to be fruitful and bless the city and bless wherever we are called 
to go. Our vision has always been to fill the city with the life of God, but I think in the wake of the pandemic, we've been, I think we're being called to refresh this vision that we've got, to be life givers, people who reach out as branches with his fruitfulness. How are you doing that? How are you displaying fruit in your workplace, to your neighbours, to other students, to family? And how can you help grow your grace community wherever it is? Be fruitful in that area. And how do you reach into new areas that maybe God is giving you a vision for that he wants you to go to, maybe to plant a grace community, maybe even to plant a church? We need miraculous multiplication, not addition. And it only comes when we're connected to the vine, when we remain in him. And we allow the power of the Holy Spirit, this resin that flows from Christ. Christ rose from the dead and then ascended on high. And when he ascended on high, what did he do? He did what he promised he would do. He would pour out the Holy Spirit. He poured it out upon the people on his church. And you know he continues to pour out his Spirit on his people. I just feel like there's, there's people in here, maybe I think including me, who through lockdown have got into habits where they're not thinking outward. We're not thinking about growing out and being fruitful um, in Glasgow. Just thinking about ourselves a little bit too much. And we need to re- be reminded that the power of the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon us so that we can be fruitful like Christ, so we can be Christ-like, connected to the vine, this God who loves us, adores us. So it starts there. Be loved by God, and then go. Go and share this glorious fruit. Why don't we get on our feet? Here's what I'd love us to do. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And I'm also going to say, look, if you are someone who uh, is regularly part of the prayer team and you're willing to do this, um, we have a space over here on the right-hand side. No chairs there at all.